Welcome to the Oxfam podcast. I'm Susanna Griffiths. I source stories of innovation and learning for Oxfam's policy and practice audiences, and I share them via this podcast, our Views and Voices blog, and social media. Today, we're talking about a project where Oxfam joined Lafie Consulting and Nepali Enterprise Smart Pani to explore alternative models while rehabilitating and building over 200 supply schemes. In Nepal, only 25% of water schemes are functioning well. While there are several approaches to setting up schemes, there's only one model of ongoing service management, which is community-based and through local water user committees. Today we'll hear about the alternative models that Oxfam explored to boost effectiveness and efficiency of water service delivery. With me I have Angel Adhikari who is an innovation advisor working on water sanitation and hygiene. He's based in Nepal and leads research, identifies gaps and seeks solutions on how to fill them. I also have Jessica Graf who is managing director of Lefil Consulting. Having worked at a range of public and non-profit institutions and management consultancies she founded Lefil in 2010. They work across a broad range of sectors and geographies and specialise in innovations that create social and economic value sustainability at scale. Angel, if I could start with you, please. What's the current condition of water supply systems in Nepal? Thanks, Susan. Today, we have, on average, more than 87% of population having access to water supply systems. But if you ask me, are all these systems functional? Well, I would say no. Only around 25% of the systems are fully functional. Some of the systems might need some major repairs, some might need minor repairs, and some might even need some huge reconstruction to make it work again. But the bottom line is that 75% of the systems being constructed are actually not functioning properly. Now, this is not something identified by a local NGO somewhere or it's something identified for a scheme, but it's now a sectoral challenge. And the government has also planned to work on the functionality and sustainability for the next 15 years to make sure that by the end of 2030, the water supply systems in Nepal delivers improved water services. Thank you, Angel. And did you find that the impact of the earthquake presented opportunities to do things differently? Well, yes, we did. So back in 2015, the functionality was kind of an open secret. So everyone knew that systems were not functional, but less people were talking about it. Then there was earthquake. Hundreds and hundreds of schemes collapsed, and that means thousands of people were deprived of having access to pure water. And Oxfam, being a development partner to Nepal government, had this commitment as well as responsibility to work and reconstruct these schemes. Now, as an Oxfam, we had to decide, should we keep constructing the system as we did before, ignoring the fact that 75% of these systems eventually goes dysfunctional, or should we take this opportunity to identify why systems are failing? So we decided that we need to take this opportunity to go beyond the problem and identify the solution so that we could contribute to the government by identifying a solution that might make system functional. So yes, it did impact. I think it helped us work very differently. Thank you. Would you like to tell us a little bit more about the project and the kind of processes that you used? Yes, sure. So when we started to solve the problem, we realized that we don't know the problem enough. So it was important for us to actually know the problem in detail. So then we went back in the field in both Tarai, the flatlands, and the hilly area to explore the problem. So technically, the flatlands, Tarai, and the hilly area have different types of water supply systems. In hilly area, it's mostly gravity flow systems, while in Tarai, it's a more complex pumping system where the water is pumped from deep well to the over a tank, and then it's distributed to the community. And in hilly area, the schemes could be about uh, 30 to 50 number of houses 
and sometimes it can be as less as 20 houses in a scheme while in Tarai it could go like 600 to 800 houses per scheme so we had these differences in both of our project area. We talked with uh, different water users, we talked with water user committees, the operators, the plumbers, the water commissioners, the Gaupalika chief, and the district engineers. We also talked with the pump repairing centers to make sure that we collect the information from different aspects. And it was common response from everyone. So everyone was talking about the problems associated with the pipes and pumps. Some, some of them were talking, saying that systems are not uh, functioning well, and there some of them were also complaining about people not coming on board to get the system. Following that, we also explored with the central team in the Kathmandu understanding what is the scale of the problem. So we talked with different people at a different level, and then after that, we also wanted to find how does these problems associated with the pipes and pumps or other factors did affect the financials of these schemes. So we went back to the field again to get these data, and we had a pretty hard time. It was pretty difficult to find the life cycle cost of the scheme and how these schemes cash flow went on. It, mostly in hills, it was pretty difficult. So Eventually, I think in overall, we used a key informants interview, focal group discussions, and we also collected few data of financials in these schemes to know the problems in detail. And so how did you fill those information gaps that you mentioned around life cycle cost and cash flow? So initially, everyone said that they don't have the data in place, but after going into the field, spending few days with them and you know talking with them more properly and trying to find out, you know, like collecting people who who were the water user uh, committee member in the in the past few years, sitting with them and asking them, you know, what were the problems. By collecting all those facts, we could form a database in those schemes where they didn't have any accounting records, and in those schemes who had the accountings done, it took a long time for us to convince them to share their accounts openly. And Jessica, would you like to come in and mention some of the ways that LaFille Consulting worked with Angel's team to tackle some of these issues? Uh, yes, sure. So I think our biggest contribution to this piece of work was really to collaborate with the team to get a true sense for what needed to be done to reach sustainability of these schemes. It struck us when we started that no one had a clear idea about how sustainable or unsustainable the schemes were, meaning were they losing a lot of money, little money, what was driving the losses. We tried to really develop an understanding of what were the most important and powerful levers to either increase revenues or decrease some categories of costs. And this is really where I think this piece is outstanding, is that we went and compiled profit and loss statement information about dozens of schemes with the help of Angel, and this was really archaeological work. Angel went in a car, went up that hill, and <laughs> sat down and really extracted this information scheme by scheme. Everyone was working towards sustainability, but no one knew actually what was needed or what was the problem. And based on this hard data and evidence, it was much easier to try to think about, okay, what levers are possible and what levers should we prioritize and why. And if we manage to implement those, 
how much money can we save or by how much the profitability would improve. Thank you. That paints a really visual picture of uh, the scale of the project and the amount of work that went into it. So in the report, you mentioned there are five levers that could improve sustainability and transform the current water supply delivery system. I'll just summarise those for people listening. Uh, they are one, to outsource initial pipeline, two, to ensure that enough households pay for a connection up front, three, automate billing, four, outsource finances, and five, outsource operations and maintenance. Jessica, would you like to expand on any of those levers for us, please? Yes, sure. What is interesting in these levers is that some of them are rather easy, and some of them actually go against what seems to be standard practice. So, for instance, the first one, refraining from asking communities to dig the trenches and, and lay the pipes, is actually a, a huge one because most of repair costs is driven by pipe repairs. And this is due to the fact that the pipes are not properly buried. And this is due to the fact that these works were typically done by communities, you know, digging trenches with shovels. And this is due to the fact that donors and NGOs ask this community to do this work as a way to show their commitment and put some sweat equity given they don't want to put in cash. Our finding was that you better hire the big excavator and not ask nothing to the community and these will save you know millions in repairs going forward. Another lever is that far too often uh, schemes are being built when there is not sufficient demand. It sounds silly but it is the case. For instance we investigated schemes that costed in the millions and that were built while only 5 to 10% of the population was willing to pay for connection. And you cannot break even on such an expensive scheme if there is hardly anyone connected to it. And these schemes would add 2-3% additional people to the scheme every year, meaning by the time the scheme starts having problems, there is still only 15-20% of people connected to it. So ensuring that there is sufficient demand and having some level of prepayment before actually starting digging or confirming the NGO would, would do the work is another very simple lever to ensure that it will ever have a chance to reach sustainability. The billing and the financing outsourcing is another one that is counterproductive in the sense that today the mantra among NGOs is to go and try to uh, train some, typically some young girl in a village and teach her basic math and basic accounting practices. And this is probably the most inefficient and ineffective way to ever manage finances of infrastructure. And it is extremely costly. So in the operations cost, all these admin costs add up to quite a bit because you need an office, you need a person, you need a person to replace that person, you need a person to oversee that person. All these admin costs, it adds up to quite a bit for a result that is suboptimal given that the figures never exist. So we felt that outsourcing this would be quite easy and an effective way to save quite a bit of budget for actually a better management of accounting data. Thank you, Jessica. Sounds like this project's really turned things on its head and uh, contrasted quite considerably with the way that we've typically done things in the past and challenged some of our assumptions about ways of doing things. Andrew, would you like to reflect on that at all? Yes, definitely. This project is trying to work things very differently. In most of the cases, trying to penetrate the traditional approaches. If you go and uh, look at any typical scheme at the moment, there is a separate staff who would spend hours looking for the good plumbers when the system 
breaks down and there are people who are spending days reading meters or you know spending a long way down to deposit the cash after collecting cashes from houses now when we were explaining these possible levers to these water user committees they were pretty excited because they never thought this could be done because they always thought what they have been doing was the best way possible and water users were not happy with the system because it was not working as they thought it should work and the water user committees felt like even if they are working well interiorly they are questioned a lot about accountability and they are still spending a lot of time so i think the tools we found out helped both water users as well as water user committee to contribute to the sustainability of the system and how has working in partnership with the private sector made a difference to this project so after we found these key levers we wanted to find some partners who could support in taking hold of this outsourced technical management works and then also find out some organization who would come on front and say well we will provide an easy way to pay to those automated billings and manage the accounts so we started exploring different private sectors our a search for private sector was very wide i mean jessica and myself we did spend few days in in the capital city exploring who could be the possible partners we started exploring from a bank even to agro company and then also we went as far as talking with cable i mean satellite companies so some of them were really interested to work with us some of them initially thought they were ready to work but backed out at last days eventually we came up with two different partners pravu management and then home seva pravu is working with us at the moment to provide cash collection system and then cash management system and taking care of the accounts of these schemes while home seva who has been working the technical problems that are highlighted by the local community and this has been kind of interesting and both the private sector are very willing to contribute in the process but again you know since we do not know what will be the time duration for users to actually get adjusted with the new system so there is still some unknown part in the whole process but eventually it's going to be a great innovation and i think everyone in the sector or also the the local governments whom we talked with they eventually say that this is something that we eventually should go forward for and but they are again you know nervous about whether or not the market or the community itself is ready to take all these new changes that's really fascinating thank you i understand as well that the way you worked with the people who funded the project was quite unusual in that you were given space to think beyond the hardware element of the water systems and think about approaches that focus on long term sustainable change could you tell us a little bit more about that please yes so i think sometimes generally when you are implementing a project it's very difficult because you have a time duration and you have the approach already fixed sometimes it really needs some open minded donors who come up front and agrees to work together with you for sustainability so during our intervention we have been working in two districts of tarai which was funded by the paul d jensen foundation thanks to paul d jensen foundation who actually gave us that right space and time in the budget to make sure that we work for sustainability rather than just completing another project let me give you an example in tarai when we were about to open tender for construction we found out that people don't buy in the system even after the whole system is constructed like jessica mentioned before so we directly talked with the donor and we told them that well if we construct the system right away there is high chances that people might not buy in the system and then we talked with the paul dugenson about the whole process and the findings and they were very positive about our findings and they agreed to push the entire project 6 months back and that allowed us to really go in the ground and then convince people to buy in their systems and since this was a very new approach and was never done in the southern belt of tarai we struggled pretty much 
to convince people to invest for the household system before the construction. And But I think we must call it a success because as of now, we have crossed more than 35% of the people on board who have already paid for the household connection and we are now going to begin the construction. Thank you, Angel. I'm going to ask Jessica a question now. I'd be really interested to hear your reflections on the successes and challenges of the project and what you see as the main impact. I think this project is both exciting and challenging at a number of levels. So I think it's exciting because, as Angel was saying at the beginning, there is hundreds of systems to be reconstructed. It's an opportunity to take a fresh start. When you try to fix things that are already broken since a long time, it's way more complicated to approach communities, to rethink how do we deal with this mess. But when you can start fresh with communities that actually experienced problems in the past, are welcoming you because you're going to rebuild this system that given that they didn't have access to water for a long time, it's a whole different ball game. Oxfam has been given the mandate to reconstruct hundreds of them. We can think in terms of doing this at an unprecedented scale. The part that probably will be way more challenging in Nepal is that unlike many other countries, finding the right private sector partner has been a bit challenging. We talked to dozens of potential companies, uh, as Angela was saying, some of them quite far away from you know the wash sector, and none really ticked all the boxes. What do you do in these cases? <laughs> do you go with the one and tick small boxes and you hope that they will invest in the capabilities required to do the rest or you set up a fresh social business with all the challenges these entails. Our push has always been to try to find a player that could actually scale the approach at a national scale and refrain from the old NGO reflex of Let's find a tiny local partner here who can do it at the scale of one, two schemes and then find another tiny partner here who can do it at the scale of one, two schemes. We really were pushing to find partners who would have muscles across a number of provinces and types of schemes. Thank you, Jessica. Angel, I'd like to ask you, given the radical departure from the traditional way of doing things this project took, did you find you met resistance in changing your approach? We did have some resistance in the ground level, but I feel that those were not much of resistance, but rather the concern that whether or not the approach that we are talking about would actually work at the moment. I remember talking with the chief of Kaupalika in Dhating district who said that whatever you have proposed is an absolutely right thing and that's something where we should move forward. But his concern was mostly around whether or not the community would be ready to have access to online systems or if they have any sort of literacy to understand that how the money is now being managed in a bank somewhere very far from the village. It was more concerned about how the approach that we are going to launch in the village would be received by the local villagers. But I did not feel any sort of negative responses from the local Gampalika or the local ward commissioners or even villagers about the concept itself. And also one interesting fact that everyone has highlighted is that the insufficiency of the plumber. So they're saying that it's a very good idea to have someone who would provide you a plumber on demand. But the point is how will the company be able to keep the plumber on hold in the district when the trend is that as soon as people in the local area get some degree or certificate, they tend to move abroad. So they are asking us to look at how we might be able to ensure that the plumbers might be in the village and still contribute in the scheme even after a few years of the working experience. Thank you, Angel. Where do you see this project going next? This is not just a working 
in, to solve a problem of a particular scheme or particular village but if this system works properly it's going to solve a national problem this project has something that's creating a roots and stem so that if this actually functions well and if this is proved correct that after a few years when these schemes would be constructed that would eventually be like a branch and that would directly come and be a part of this model and would immediately receive services or technical services or account management services from the day one so that would solve the most critical problem that we are facing at the moment in the WASP sector. But again, to prove that, we need to test that project in scale. The research that we did together with Jessica, we have identified that we need to reach at the scale of 200,000 people to make sure that there is the right number of people paying for the system to make sure that these private sectors run sustainably. Thank you, Angela. It sounds like this project has the potential to completely revolutionize the way that we manage water supply systems and potentially the, the way that we work on other projects as well. Jessica, I just wanted to ask you if you had any reflections about things that you might take away for other projects um, and context in your work with other organizations. I think we already do that. I must say that Oxfam is actually very good at centralizing knowledge and learning. Nepal is actually the testbed of more countries where such a radical rethought or reboot is given a chance on the thinking in Nepal. We then uh, help Oxfam think through their approach in the ASOS, northern arid Kenya, where there is also an extremely low uh, functionality or rate of schemes. While this context is very different, I think the methodology and the thinking about what can be or should be centralized or not, and what can be given to private sector or not, how to quantify various levers, we definitely try to build on what we learned in Nepal. Thank you. It was great to hear the richness of detail behind the project. Obviously, there's a report that's available on the Policy and Practice website now, but it's been really, really valuable to hear your personal reflections about working on the project. So thank you very much both to uh, Jessica and Angel.